This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, Monday, March 6th, here in the later hours of the day. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, for episode 152 here in the den. And uh, it's safe to say that Nick and I are both dog tired, uh, get it, yeah. unintended. Um, but really, I mean, it's been it's been a long day, long week and weekend for both of us. So I'm uh, excited to bring you some content. But if we fall asleep halfway through, I, I promise we're not just watching a Huskies game as of late. Um, with that being said, oh, though... Boy. <laughs> With that being said, though, I mean, a split for the men's team who overall and especially statistically looked a little bit better than they have All in right. recent weeks. So um, being shorthanded defensively on top of that. Yeah. So maybe some trends in the right direction, uh, becoming familiar with an opponent that they might see in the not too distant future here. We'll definitely <laughs> touch on that. No it's teasing there. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, have these two teams played before? We'll see. Um, but with that being said, of course, the women's team is done for the year, but we will get you primed and ready. Uh, the NCAA tournament uh, is essentially set on the women's side, and we also have a little bit tease- of a teaser for something we're going to be working on for next week on the women's side as well, too, that we'll discuss there. And then NHL Hockey News, the Minnesota Wild, 8-1-1 one one in their last 10, have vaulted themselves into second place in the Central Division. Billy Guerin went all in, uh, in some senses here, anticipating what this team is going to bring to the table. And we're going to see how that unfolds. And then our extra ice session kind of tag teaming off of the past week. It was a wild week, a wild trade deadline um, in the National Hockey League. And we're going to discuss everything about it. So without further ado, we start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. mentioned Noah Center ICU News and Notes, the weekly roundup, as we like to call it here, the Huskies Wilming Horse Podcast, or shall we say the HWH. Um, let's start with signings and news, because that's really what we have for you this week. Uh, here's the big one. Uh, the Nashville Predators, they've been along for a while, right? Right, Noah? Yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell. Before you were born, something like that. You know, it's been a while. Uh, 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 ni- yeah. 1998 uh, is when they came into the league, and uh, they've had essentially um, a GM for a while. His name is David Poyle. Well, he's announced his retirement, uh, and even more, maybe sort of a twist of fate. It's his his predecessor or his uh, his successor, I should say, for those who know the English language. Um, it's Barry Trotz that's going to take over as uh, the GM of the Nashville Predators. 
This is interesting, Noah, because uh, I know that he was a sought-after coach. It, it sounded like you know he could have essentially chosen his spot if he wanted to. Uh, you know, it's just insane, right? Uh, David Poyle, though, going back to him, twenty-five plus season in the National Hockey League with Washington and Nashville. Um, he's going to remain with the team as a consultant in sort of a reduced role. Uh, but you know, holy cow, first GM in the NHL to hit three thousand games at the helm. He's seventy-three years of age, so. Uh, you, you kind of wonder too, right? Right, Noah. When you when you're in the game for that long, it's it's a job you love, and there's certainly no question he's enjoyed it. He had a, this deep cup run was what 2017, I think, against the Pen- against the Penguins. Um, Nashville hasn't really been back since. Uh, you you kind of get the sense that maybe he knew the writing was on the wall, or this was a kind of a personal thing. He just knew that it was maybe time for a change. What do you make of this? One? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the Barry Trotz part of this is, you know, the more intriguing piece of this. I mean, David Poyle, 73. He's been around the game a long time since 1997. Like you mentioned, I was alive. December 96 is my birthday, but uh, not by much. Not much. (laughs) Was still still in diapers, but who knows? That could have been yesterday as well, too. But, uh, you know, you look at what he's kind of built that Capitals program into and then transitioning over to Nashville and, you know, getting that deep cup run, like you mentioned, and having a couple kicks at the can, really making hockey a focal point in Nashville. I mean, you know, you Mm -hmm. have the country music scene, you have the Tennessee Titans as well, too, and kind of turning that into somewhat of a hockey market, you know, and making Bridgestone Arena a fun place to be at. You know, I think that's a major accomplishment for him. And to leave that, you know, as a stepping stone for Barry Trotz to, you know, vault into i think will be really interesting um nashville's in a weird spot i think in general just as Mm. a organization and i think maybe if you know that you kind of have these muddy waters you give somebody new a chance to kind of try to steer the ship and see what happens barry trotts an interesting choice i don't know how that's going to pan out but we're going to have our answer pretty soon yeah, I, I think for me, Noah, what's what's interesting about this is, you know, not to take anything away from Barry Trotz as a coach, but no GM experience, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and granted, does that mean that he won't be good? No. Uh, but you certainly, with today's game and, you know, certainly the way that GMs, you know, sort of position themselves both in the media and behind closed doors, there's a lot of little, shall we say, chess pieces that are out there um, about how they handle business. And it, you kind of wonder if Barry Trotz, um, is ready for all those uh, intricacies. Not saying that he can't, but it's definitely going to be something to watch. Um, and as you mentioned, a precarious spot for Nashville. Um, I don't know if we got you know a bit of a window. Uh, David Polk sort of kind of cleaning the house a little bit, right? Uh, there's there's definitely going to be some big decisions on that roster. We saw you know a couple of uh, pieces being traded out. One being former Wild Ford, you know, Nita Ryder going to the Winnipeg Jets, just to name one of some of the moves that they've made. Uh, so be curious to see what Barry Trotz does, how he sees the organization and whether um, they're in for a retool or into a rebuild. Um, I think they're kind of at that spot where um, a decision has to be made. So we'll be curious to see how he takes the uh, the squad from here. Uh, what you don't have to be curious about, if you're especially a Boston Bruins fan, is um, if you're hungry for Italian food, you can always count on pasta, right? Uh, David Pasternak, he's not going anywhere. He signed an eight-year extension the longest you can. Um, with your St. Clover, $90 million, uh, well-deserved, I think was at $11.25 million per season, if I'm doing the math correctly in my head. Uh, it's, I, I think, honestly, it's a bargain of a contract for what he brings uh, in the prime of his career. Great signing by the Bruins here. Yeah, I mean, exceptional hockey player. There's no doubt about it. Any team in the National Hockey League would like to have him. And, you know, you think about how much of a steal he was before that he was what at like 6.25 or something like that. I mean, kind of on that little bridge deal thing. So uh, yeah, I mean, the Bruins 
I, I've kind of found uncanny ways of being loaded for bear again, pun intended, apparently, um, yeah. you know, with that team and being able to sign some of these guys to big name contracts, but also kind of loop back and really fill that roster. That's a team. I don't think anybody wants in the playoffs this season. And no. with a guy that is going to be at the forefront of that, David Posternak at $90 million, like you mentioned, kind of seems like a steal in some senses. It does. Speaking of a steal, uh, a player that was rumored to possibly on the move or, you know, could they resign him? Uh, he's not going anywhere. Also, the captain, Dylan Larkin, staying with the Red Wings, also the max eight-year deal, $69.6 million for Dylan Larkin. Uh, one of a handful of different trades that Detroit did. And kind of a bit of a retool there with Stevie Wyatt there at the helm as the Red Wings continue to sort of disappoint this year. I think a lot of folks thought um, that they would take them another step again. They they uh, they brought in Derek Lalonde, former Iowa Wild head coach, former Tampa Bay assistant, won a cup with them. Just hasn't really panned out. So uh, it's just some uh, different pieces to the puzzle, right? Uh, Wings also adding Jake Wallman for three years at four, uh, 3.4 million, sorry, uh, on there. So uh, Wings continue to try to, you know, shuffle things up there and there in the deck. Uh, but speaking of Huskies, this is the Huskies Women's Podcast, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, <laughs> Capitals re-signing former St. Cloud State defender Nick Jensen to a three-year extension at $4.05 million as an average annual value. Yeah, great pickup for the Capitals. Uh, kind of a steady little career, former Detroit Red Wing as well, Nick Jensen yeah. as well, too. So uh, circling back to Washington, Detroit, and uh, just whoever else uh, around our nation's capital, of course. And then our last topic here, Nick, just a couple of injuries, both lower body injuries week to week. Vancouver's JT Miller and Buffalo's Alex Tuck. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, the main portion of the show here, episode 152, late on this Monday evening. Nick, of course, I believe just getting off work, same as myself here. I mean, a lot of things going on here. I Spent five straight days in the ER at the hospital. Yesterday was a 14 and a half hour shift. And then today just getting done in the later hours of the night. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been a grind for sure. Um, and then know. we come and we talk hockey and pretend like we know what <laughs> we're talking about for yeah. half plus. I, I know it, right? I mean, it's, it, it's been an interesting time, obviously, in the hockey world. And you look at the men's, you know, landscape here finally wrapping up the regular season across all conferences. We are all playoffs from here on out. Yep. Uh, it's been a fun time. I mean, I love tournament time. One, for the simplification of being able to recap a lot of these scores. It's easy to you know follow the tournaments a little bit. Although some of the tournament formats are just totally weird. For those who are curious, when we get to the women's side of things, uh, the women's format actually follows the same format as the Hockey East Championship, the way that that is set up. So uh, some similarities there, but every group has their different kind of alignment as to the way that they do it. But a couple of upsets this week, too, that were uh, very interesting. But let's start, of course, with the regular season portion here. Uh, the NCHC had games left to be played as well as Hockey East and two independent matchups that are more important than many would think in most years. Uh, starting with Hockey East, Providence traveling to BU, BU. Uh, a sweep for them over the Friars. Northeastern, a home and home against UMass Lowell, and it was a split. UMass Lowell in night number one, Northeastern seven to three in night number two. UConn, home and home against the BC Eagles, and it was a split each way. BC five three in the first night, UConn six five in the second night, and then Merrimack, a four to one victory on Saturday against Vermont, placing them in sole possession of second place as they approach their playoff uh, chances there. On the independent side, ASU traveled to Alaska Anchorage 5 nothing victory for the Sun Devils in the first night and then UAA 4 to 3 
Okay. Victory for the Seawolves to finish off their season uh, up there in Anchorage. So a nice little cap off. Their second half was much better than their first. They had some pretty crucial wins that uh, kind of pushed them up in the pairwise a little bit. So that is it for the Seawolves and I believe the Sun Devils as well. That should be the end of their season as well, too. And then Lindenwood, their season is done. They played Alaska Fairbanks, who might not be done just quite yet. Four to one and eight to nothing victory for the Nanooks. They sit 13th in the pairwise so they're right on the bubble um the thing that might actually hurt them yeah is not even uh auto bids from conferences it's just potential upsets in conference tournaments from teams around that like 10 to 20 mark somewhere in there that have a chance to to make some movement but boy it would be so much fun to see alaska make this tournament so good for them i mean they treated that weekend like a playoff weekend and they got the job done so the nanooks giving themselves a chance. I mean, at least I, I mean, how cool would it be? The the only time they made the tournament 2009, 10, how cool would it be to see them, you know, back in the big dance again? Huge. Uh, and especially when both these schools had uh, uh, essentially had to be resurrected, right? Not that long ago. So uh, for Alaska that uh, shall we say that if there's one caveat to maybe the extra COVID year and then certainly some transfer portal rule changes, uh, they've been the beneficiary of that from a, especially from a former golfer player, if we're going to be uh, totally honest. Uh, so I would love to see them there. I think they'd be great for college hockey. Uh, I ate nothing in the last regular season game. You kind of hope that if you're, the Nanooks that kind of sticks in the uh, the heads of the committee. And again, like you mentioned, you hope that, you know, the the movements or upsets don't happen, that, you know, they kind of slide down a bit. Um, 12th is right on the uh, teetering edge there. So hopefully they can, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you can say get some help, but hopefully they stay there and just, you know, kind of cross the fingers that they can uh, get that at-large bid into the tournament. Would be great to see them there. It's kind of weird, too. You look at, you know, you're hoping that a team below them doesn't make noise, but at the same time, a team below them that makes noise would be helpful if it's a team that they're playing right above them, right? You know, if, if 10, 11, 12 struggle, then maybe they move up a spot or two. So, um, of course, the pairwise, all math. I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do no. with committee selection. So uh, we'll have to see how that pans out. Speaking of Minnesota, you mentioned the Gophers, the Big Ten tournament overway, uh, underway, I should say. The Gophers, not a part of that because, of course, they're the number one seed. They had a bye this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe help them with all the injuries that they've had as of late. That means number seven played number two at Michigan. I predicted this one to go to three games. It didn't, but boy, we were super close. First night, yep. Michigan 6-5 in overtime. The Wolverines get the victory 7-4 in night number two. The Wolverines cap off that sweep, essentially. And that Badgers coaching career, uh, no yeah. question that. And and I don't mean that facetiously. Um, you know, yeah. it was it was no question. I know that, you know, I'm NCAA talking to Ben Holden a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it very openly that, you know, the, the you know, the word was circulating that, you know, the way this thing was trending, that, you know, it, this was a likely outcome. And uh, for Wisconsin, too, you know, again, you, you commit to the program. You also commit to a coach and a coaching staff. You commit to a certain group of players, right? There's more than just, you know, the Badger and the Wisconsin name, right? Um, and, you know, with that kind of effort, I mean, they, they certainly left it all on the table. Um, they left it all, you know, out there for themselves as well as Coach Granado, who uh, I think today as we sit here on Monday, was officially relieved of his coaching duties uh, after seven seasons at the helm. So it's unfortunate. Um, and unfortunately, as we, we've seen right now, is that this is a results-driven business. And um, maybe something that we can also talk about potentially is what that opening, there's been some names that have been floated around about who could uh, yeah. be a front runner for that. And let's just say a, 
uh, a former Huskies broadcaster brought up a couple of names, which uh, is certainly not uh, going to stir the pot from any fan franchises <laughs> that we partake in. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting with the Badgers. That you know, we'll definitely have to circle back to it at some point. I mean, I think that it's interesting conversation. There might be a couple of schools where guys are going to be on the move as far as the coaching and administrative staff, you know, portion of things too. So, but um, you know, if you ask some people, they'd even say the Huskies. Hmm, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> with with that being said, uh, Penn State number six playing Ohio State number three. It was Ohio State sneaking out of this one in three games. Second game, Penn State wins in overtime to stay alive, uh, but then OSU gets the victory on the third night. And then Michigan State playing Notre Dame. It was Notre Dame, a, a prototypical one nothing win the first night, yep. and a pair of 4-2 to two victories for the Spartans to punch their ticket. They're going to be moving on to face the Gophers this upcoming weekend, so keep an eye on that one. CCHA tournament time here. Uh, Lake Superior State playing Man Mankato 6-1. Mankato wins in night number one, two to one. And night number two, uh, the Lakers almost pushing that one to three games. Number seven, St. Thomas playing Michigan Tech. And it was Michigan Tech one nothing in 5-4. Pair of one-goal victories. Good little showing for the Tommies. I mean, I know that it wasn't the result that they wanted, but I mean, they made things interesting against a tech team that is, you know, potentially otherwise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's that's no small feat. And I know. As we talk on the MNCAA podcast, how Rico Blasi, the head coach of the Tommies, likes to you know talk about no moral victories, and he's right on that. But and you kind of have to feel good about taking a team like that to two one-goal games, uh, two very different games. Again, a low-scoring defensive battle, and then you know again, coaches wanting more offense. It opens up, and you're able to sort of hang with them, right? That's not anything to shake your head at. Um, the St. Thomas again, 17 new players on this roster coming into the season, and they had a heck of a second half of the year. Um, this is where you set the table and then, you know, shall we say that the storylines become is year three, the big year of the big jump. And it's shaping up to be that way as long as, shall we say, it's not 17 new players that come into the system. And uh, now with a new building that you can lie, you kind of wonder what's next for the St. Thomas squad. They have been mighty impressive uh, since the second half of the year. And again, uh, it's tough to have a season end um, again, but uh, you you had it into a top 10, 11 team in the country in Michigan Tech. He lost by one both nights. Again, uh, it's, it's something that you don't, you can't be too upset about if you're Rico and the, and the Tommies. Well, you know who might be upset? How about the number three team in the CCHA who yeah. pretty much watched their season dissipate rapidly? Number six, yes. Ferris State, a sweep of number three, Bowling Green, 4-3 and 2-1, to one, both of those in overtime. Oh, that- boy. Bulldogs team uh, has kind of, you know, you look at the Badgers in the Big Ten, Ferris State really, uh, you know, on the other side, and maybe St. Thomas a little bit have given teams fits in their respective conference in the CCHA. Bulldogs moving on to the next weekend, uh, going to take on Mankato in that matchup next week. Then Bemidji State, Northern Michigan, it was Northern Michigan, a sweep. Bit surprising, I thought, this one, 7-3 to three the first night and 2-1 to one in overtime. We talked about how that Beavers team was spiraling a little bit, but I kind of thought they would at least have a decent showing. No. Yeah. Two wins in regulation since the holiday break. Uh, Northern Michigan had one four straight coming into it, and I think Northern Michigan was also a team that was sort of spiraling, but the last couple weekends they were able to pull it together and kind of became the team we thought we would see more consistently throughout the regular season. Uh, They put a stomp on the Beavers, and, well, 
quietly put, you know, shall we say the, the headstone on the end of their season, unfortunately. Uh, but Midgey made it interesting, as you mentioned in game number two, that overtime victory, but Northern Michigan play, playing with desperation here. Cause uh, really their only ticket to a, uh, NCAA uh, bid would be to win this tournament, and uh, it's not going to get any easier for them going up against number two in the conference, Michigan Tech, here next weekend. Absolutely. ECAC tournament was underway. Number 10, Yale. Number nine, Princeton. Six, Clarkson. And five, Colgate all advanced in the preliminary rounds. And Atlantic Hockey as well, too. RIT, Holy Cross, Niagara, and Canisius all advanced. Why is that important? Holy Cross stunning AIC as a seven seed, four to three in overtime in that third night to push their way into the next round there. I mean, AIC, Huskies fans may be breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, And then Sacred Heart on the other side, they were a three seed. They were beaten by number six, Niagara as well. So uh, that Atlantic hockey tournament, there were a couple teams that have a good look. RIT is still the odds on favorite, but Holy Cross, have they done anything in in, in an NCAA tournament of note? I don't know. I don't remember. It must, yeah. have been, it must have been late. Couldn't yeah. I, I was that. I was there actually. <laughs> <laughs> what a life, huh? Yeah. How about that? And you know, and it's funny <laughs> how we talk about tournament time. This is what makes it fun, right? Is yeah. these sort of unsung heroes. And more importantly, you know, Holy Cross, you know, you can even take uh, Sacred Heart uh, in Niagara into this conversation, right? Sometimes you get, you know, that one upset and granted, this is a conference tournament, right? Uh, sometimes when you get that right win at the right time, it can be quite the motivator. It can be quite the springboard. Um, then all of a sudden you just go on a run, right? So um, not to say that that will happen again. Holy Cross is certainly not the most, shall we say, imposing team, but you never know. All you have to do is punch your ticket and you just never know what can happen. Uh, again, ask the team that they took down AIC, um, you know, back a couple of years ago um, up in Fargo, um, how they feel. So uh, nothing, you know, can't anything can happen. Yeah. Holy cross. More like holy crap. Uh, you yes. know, <laughs> moving into uh, the aforementioned Minnesota that one in the, uh, you know, the used category. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a t-shirt somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the aforementioned Minnesota Golden Gophers, the Big Ten tournament coming up here. They have Michigan State. Ohio State will have Michigan in those single those single game matchups. The way the Big Ten tourney works, though, is so freaking weird. Why is it that you know you have a bye week for the one seed? They finally get the matchup. They play a single game set after being off for a week. Yep. And then you wait another week to play the championship game. You know, do I sound like do I sound like Bob Monsko complaining about the times or is there some validation here? Like there's it, it is odd. Right. And, you know, you kind of wonder if the Big Ten will address that at some point, because, again, we talk about this a lot. Right. When come tournament time, if you're playing well, you want to keep playing. You don't want to have these gaps. Now, mind you. You know, the one that you can't control is does your team have injuries? Certainly the Gophers are hurting right now with some of the injuries to their back end. Again, Jackson Lacombe uh, looks like some of the injury news coming from him isn't looking very promising. So maybe in a roundabout way, it's good or bad, but I don't know. Um, it's not going to change unless, you know, shall we say the schools or the coaches, you know, more than half of them, uh, you know, maybe throw a bit of shade at that. But we haven't heard anything, at least publicly, that they don't like the format. So here we sit. And, uh, you know, again, uh, all these coaches, no matter when things end, are going to be looking towards Sunday the 18th, and that's Selection Sunday. That's the big one, right? 
Yeah, and right before that, all these conference tournaments coming to an end. CCHA tournament here, number four, Northern Michigan, takes on number two, Michigan Tech. No surprise there. But number six, Ferris State has number one, Mankato. That's also a single game set for those matchups as well, and they do kind of the same tournament format as well. Yeah. Hockey East, um, bit confusing here. Uh, the way that they're kind of staggered three of their four brackets, just like it is, for the upcoming women's bracket for the NCAA tournament, three out of the four of the brackets have a preliminary single game set. And the winner of those gets the next team in the bracket to kind of fill out your bracket of eight, so to speak. So the winner on the top side of the bracket, the winner of number eight, Boston college and number nine, UMass will get the top seed. Number one, Boston university winner of Boston university. And that game will get either number five UMass Lowell or number four UConn. That is the only bracket that does not have a preliminary round. Those two are on top there. Then the winner of number six, Maine, and number 11, Vermont, gets number three, Northeastern, on the bottom. And the winner of seven, Providence, and 10, New Hampshire, who has been rolling as of late. They get number two, Merrimack, uh, to see who can push through there. So obviously we'll get down to a group of four here in the next week. More clarity after this upcoming week, I think. And we we really finally start to dar- dive into tournament time and really everything becomes clear. And then the NCAAs get started. Uh, ECAC tournament. This, these are best of three matchups here. Number 10 Yale was able to squeak through. They face the top team in Quinnipiac. Number nine Princeton versus number two Harvard. Number six Clarkson, number three Cornell and Colgate has Number four, St. Lawrence, of course, Colgate, the five seed. Then the AHA tournament in Atlantic hockey. These are also best of three games as well. Holy Cross has the top seed in RIT, and Niagara as the sixth seed faces Canisius. So keep an eye on those tournaments as we move into those. On the other side of things here, let's move to the NCHC. Of course, they wrapped up the regular season this past week, and their tournament is also set to be played. Western Michigan traveling to Miami. Western Michigan 5 nothing in the first night. Not really a surprise. 5-4 in overtime in the second night. Like I said, this Red Hawks team, this Red Hawks team, I, I don't know if they push Denver to three games when they match up next week, but, I mean, they're not exactly what you would call an easy out. I mean, I don't no. think they're, I don't think they're a difficult out, but I don't exactly think they're kind of the, the roll over and die team that we've seen in years past. I mean, is that a they fair will, assessment? Uh, Shell will say they'll take you to a full count. They might fall, fall off a couple pitches like a, a former twin Luis Arise. So RIP, sorry. I, <laughs> oh, gee, I'm still ticked about that going to my, I get it. But anyway, that's a different yeah. sport, but that's, that's kind of where it's at though. with right. Miami is that, you know, you don't really expect them. Is it ironic gonna, that it's Miami, by the way, how about that? Huh? Right. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even put that in my head. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, kind of the same way, right? Like you don't really expect them to do like, you know, a home run threat. You're not expecting the big guns, but, you know, they can fight, you know, and, and kind of keep themselves in the game that is lack the power uh, to kind of overcome a lot of maybe the stronger pitching per se. Right. So I know Caleb's going to take a screenshot of that. Face. <laughs> it's just going to be, oh, gosh. Anyway, well. You know what screenshot we didn't see, though? Uh, the University of North Dakota doing everything they could to try to push and actually face oh. the Huskies as the five seed. They didn't get there because of tiebreakers. Uh, North Dakota, 5-4 in overtime. There's your difference maker, number yeah. one. And then 2-1 to one the second night beating Omaha. Good little showing for the Fighting Hawks as they push into tournament time here. Um, and then Colorado College, home and home against Denver. Uh, Denver sweeping 2-1 and 4-2. Tigers. 
going to be a tough out, whoever gets them, obviously. And then Duluth, St. Cloud State, pair of one-goal games, 4-3. to three, The Bulldogs win in night number one, and then 4-3 in overtime. The Huskies win in night number two. There would have been your other saving grace for North Dakota had they been able to find that extra point because of the OT finish. So let's start with night number one here, uh, Quinn Olson having himself a night in the first yeah. period before Kyler Kupka had himself a night in the second period. Deadlocked at twos entering period number three. Carter Loney and Cole Spicer, who ended up getting the eventual game winner with 9.27 into period number three. And then Mason Solquist uh, with about 25 seconds left to play it made it interesting. Huskies, though, 44 for 70, almost 63% in the faceoff dot. Shots 37-25. Huskies, Jackson Caster stopping 21 of 25 for an 840. Zach Stayskull, 34 of 37. A pretty decent showing for him, a 919. Huskies were one for five on the man advantage. Duluth, one for two on their opportunities. They scored on their first power play of the game. I mean, yeah, the result kind of stinks in this first one here, Nick. But, I mean, St. Cloud had a chance to still be in this hockey game, even going down multiple two goal deficits twice in this hockey game. Statistically, they were all right. They just couldn't solve a goaltender and just couldn't find a way in this one. I mean, what did you see? Uh, same thing. And uh, Bruce Sitsky, uh, the UMD broadcaster, uh, did some math. And I know, uh, Noah, you're a math guy. You like stats. And I think I'm not very good at it, but I try. No, uh, but that's okay. Uh, sometimes it takes somebody else to do the math for you. You can just say it on there. That's fine. Um, and this, that's the case. So Bruce had done a, a couple of, shall we say, advanced analytics uh, kind of, you yeah. know, shall we say numbers. And apparently the Huskies five on five goals. Not good. In fact, I think bottom two of the NCHC, like 56 some odd percent. Um, and we sort of see this, right? And that is, yeah. you know, where has the offense been? And essentially without the power play, uh, you know, sort of clicking, it's been a struggle. Now, granted, uh, here on Friday, same thing. I mean, third period, 17 shots to six. It wasn't like the Huskies weren't peppering the score, the UMD goaltender, but you kind of also wonder, you know, for the Huskies, are these coming from the perimeter? Most likely, right? With Duluth, they do a very good job of uh, collapsing into the middle of the ice, uh, really also in blocking shots. So um, St. Cloud, again, put themselves in a position uh, to have to kind of climb back. And if there's one thing you've noticed, Noah, throughout the season is that when the Huskies go down, especially after some of their key injuries, uh, it's been not a great uh, formula to win, and that is trying to climb from behind. Um, uh, but somehow when I say that, all of a sudden Saturday night rolls around and yeah. here we go, right? Yeah, apparently that formula works very well. Okay. Uh, down 3 nothing after the first period, including a power play goal from Ben Steves before a power play marker of their own, Vieti Mietnin, on the man advantage, and then his second of the period, second of the hockey game, both in period number two. Brandon Bushy, shorthanded. That's not a phrase you say very often. Uh, 336 yeah. Yeah, in the period number three. And then Zach Okabe, his 16th of the season in overtime from Kyler Kupka. And Brandon Bushy, who had a pretty decent weekend, Brandon Bushy did. Uh, St. Cloud, one for five on the man advantage. Duluth, one for four and giving up a shorthanded goal as well. Huskies, 33 for 57, just under 58% in the dot. So a good faceoff weekend. Shots 30 to 23 in favor of the Huskies. The Huskies through period number three and overtime outshot to lose 12 to three in those two periods. So again, good finishes to hockey games here as of late. Dominic Bassey stopping 20 of 23 for an 870. Zach Stayskull 26 of 30 for an 867. So pretty comparable on the netminder side on both pieces of this, which means Denver followed by Western Michigan, Omaha, St. Cloud, Duluth, 
winning the tiebreaker against North Dakota and then Colorado College in Miami, all rounding out the NCHC standings. The Huskies, like you mentioned, I mean, bit of a fortuitous bounces on Saturday, but overall yeah. during the weekend, kind of trending a little bit better to what we kind of anticipated really is a curious case to see if they can carry this into the playoffs. I mean, this Bulldogs team, one, they're very good in the postseason, always have been. Two, yep. the Huskies have shown they've really struggled with home ice against this Bulldogs team when it comes to the postseason. Uh, you know, yep. look no further than the past year, right? Um, but, you know, I don't know if we would have necessarily expected these teams to finish in this order. What's interesting, Nick, I did a little bit of math of my own. Would you like some math here just for sure. fun? Oh, boy. Let's, for funsies. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so we picked UND, Denver, Duluth, St. Cloud, Western Michigan, Colorado College, Nebraska, Omaha, and Miami in that Oops. order. Yeah, in our preview. So here's what I did, Nick. I said that we got five points for every correct answer. So, for example, the St. Cloud State Huskies, we predicted them to finish in fourth. They finish in fourth, five That's points good. for us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> minus, minus one for each slot, each seating that you're off. So let's say the Huskies finished third. We would get four points because we were one point off that. Pretty simple, easy to follow. Perfect score would be 40. Eight teams times, times five points. Perfect score. What do you think our score out of 40 was for our prediction score? 27. That's not a bad guess. That's not a bad guess. 25 is the correct answer. 62.5% correct was our bracket prediction uh, as far as the standings for the season, which uh, it's not great, but it's also not totally terrible. Of course, a couple teams giving us some fits. Two teams we got correct with five total points. St. Cloud State, obviously Miami. one of them. Miami is the other. Only two other teams with four points correct. Any idea who they might be? That would have been Western Michigan. Nope. So Denver. Denver is correct. And then Colorado College. Colorado College is the other one. Very nice. Good job. Denver, we we predicted them to finish in second. They finished in first. And then, of course, CC, we predicted them to finish in sixth. They finished seventh. So uh, there's your matchup there. Only one team to slide three places. Um, and that is the Duluth Bulldogs. Yeah. Uh, so they moved two spots. We had them at third. They went to fifth. Western Michigan on the other side of things. Uh, they yeah. are at yeah. yeah. They are at two points. So um, and then the other piece of this here. Let's see here. Nebraska Omaha. We got one point for them. I mean they <laughs> really mm-hmm. surprised. And then uh, there's one team that we got zero. <laughs> Any idea? North Dakota. North Dakota, yeah. Oof. Um, so, yeah, very interesting there. What does that mean? What does all that brouhaha for no particular reason mean? It means the NCHE quarterfinals are underway this weekend. Uh, the best of three series begins on Friday, ends on Sunday. That also means for our show, we'll probably do a recording either Monday or Tuesday. So uh, just because yeah. I've got travel plans for vacation in Alaska, and also we want to make sure we encompass all of those games as well. So number eight, Miami traveling to number one, Denver. Seven, Colorado College at number two, Western Michigan. Number six, North Dakota at number three, Omaha. And number five, Duluth visiting our St. Cloud State Huskies. Of course, the top four winners, essentially, in each of those matchups advance for the quarterfinal games in the Frozen Faceoff, which is single elimination championship game to follow the next night. So, Nick, St. Cloud, Duluth, 
we've heard that phrase before. Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, the Bulldogs seem to have the upper hand. St. Cloud's been kind of reeling as of late. A better weekend last weekend. What do we take out of all this? What does this weekend mean for St. Cloud and how does it all end up? Well, I think there's a couple of things that you take away. One is uh, this team still gave this Bulldog squad quite the fit when they were yeah. down three defensemen. Uh, again, no Jack Peard, no Andre Trebol, again, Anhorn done for the season. Um, so why is that important? Uh, Noah, when we talk about hockey teams and we talk about different units, right, sometimes injuries can force a team to, shall we say, focus on a particular area of their game. Um, and I do think that with Jack Peard and Andre Trayball out, it did kind of force, and you've got Mason Reiners and Cooper Wiley there you know, who have had very limited time in the in the lineup, essentially, um, with those two being slotted in, have essentially been kind of rotating as a seventh defenseman. And, uh, you know, you're kind of forced to be like, okay, we, we really have to protect our net. We have to protect our goaltender. We have to limit the grade A chances. And I think for the most part, they did. Again, uh, a couple of those nights, like in Saturday, some, of, uh, some opportunistic type goals for UMD, uh, a couple slip-ups, you could say. Uh, but structurally, they looked pretty good. Um, and so sometimes... It just forces you to simplify, right? And I think that's going to be the big thing this weekend for St. Cloud. Just keep that mentality. Keep it simple. Don't try to overcomplicate things. Uh, and just, if anything, you're going to have to play hard. You're going to have to play below the goal line, the offensive push. Uh, don't let do with anything. Don't shoot yourselves in the foot. Um, formula is easier, right? Uh, stay out of the box. Uh, again, the PK <laughs> still, um, you know, uh, the big asterisk for me, and I'm sure it is for you and probably a lot of Huskies fans out there too. Um, if you get it, again, the special teams battle on the opposite side, if you get a power play, you got to take advantage of it. And in the even strength battle, right? Uh, get pucks towards the net and crash. Again, the Dave Shy, the grease pan goals, right? That's what got them to the national championship game a couple of years ago. Uh, to me, it's just that simple. Keep it simple, right? Uh, what do you see in this matchup? No, I, I'd imagine a lot of the same. Yeah, you know, I think the piece that I point to is five on five and not necessarily the scoring touch. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to be scoring in order to be effective. Yes, does it help? Obviously. Right. But if you're generating, right, I think the big woes for St. Cloud has not even been necessarily that differential that Bruce Siski mentioned in terms of five on five scoring. It's the it's the fashion in which it's happening. It's not even that St. Cloud is getting opportunities and they've been snake bit. It's that sometimes when they're really struggling, they're hemming their own zone. Like you mentioned, chips off the glass. They're not transitioning appropriately. They're not creating four checks. They're not creating offensive attacks. They're not creating That's- odd man rushes. That's when they've really struggled. They kind of got back to that a little bit last weekend where they were able to actually kind of force the issue similar to what we saw in the first half, right? They were so good in the first half at creating those chances. That's really going to be the ticket, you know, to the gravy train here. You can deal with a mediocre PK, especially if your power play has been as good as it has been for St. Cloud, but your five on five play has to be your supporting cast or your basic framework for how you play the game. Special teams is not always going to bail you out. It can hurt you, but it can't be, you know, your crux, your crutch or whatever that you lean on essentially to try to survive and hobble your way through. You've got to make sure that you're on two strong legs and, you know, full bore ahead at five on five. So St. Cloud, obviously very big weekend for them dropping to seven in the pairwise technically. Um, so right. that's, that's where they're at right now. Uh, other teams around the NCH, of course, Denver now up to three, uh, mm-hmm. Western Michigan at nine, um, Omaha at 18, North Dakota at 22, Duluth right behind them at 23. And let's see here. Colorado College at 40, 
Miami at 44. I think that should be all of them. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on everything that's going on in the NCHC. Of course, as we look at the pairwise, it's going to become pretty important <laughs> as we move in through the next couple of weeks. Uh, WCHA women here wrapping up the WCHA season before we get to NCAA tournament time here on the women's side. Number four, Duluth. Number one, Ohio State. It was a two-to-one victory for the Buckeyes. A good little showing uh, for the Bulldogs having a good chance. They did make the tournament, as did Ohio State. Wisconsin, number three, Minnesota, number two. Uh, That was the seeding. The score was four-to-two in favor of the Gophers in that game. All four of these teams actually making the tournament. So really gives you an idea of how good St. Cloud was this year and really just right on the edge, right on the cusp of being with this group. I mean, you know, great season for the women's team. I know we've kind of talked about it, but pretty exceptional. Gophers beating Ohio State 3-1 to in the championship game down there in Minneapolis to cap off the WCHA season. What does that mean? It means our similar bracketology to the Hockey East on the men's side. The regionals coming up this weekend. And then, of course, the Frozen Four, March 17th to the 19th, Amsoil Arena in Duluth. So the Bulldogs have a chance to play in their home digs, kind of, sort of, ish. The top half, first bracket in Columbus, Quinnipiac plays Penn State University. The winner of that gets number one, Ohio State. New Haven is the only bracket without a preliminary round. So number four, Yale gets number five, Northeastern. On the bottom half of things, in the Hamilton bracket, Wisconsin, wild to think that they're in a preliminary game. Yep. They've got Long Island. The The winner. Yeah. The winner of that gets number three, Colgate. And in Minneapolis, the Gophers in their home turf, they await the winner of Duluth and Clarkson. So the Bulldogs have an uphill battle should they want to play at Amsoil Arena. So, of course, the winner of those brackets, obviously advancing to the Frozen Four. I mean, I know the Buckeyes are odds on favorite. You can't really count out the Gophers here. No. Beyond that, though, I mean, it's hard to really know a lot about those Eastern teams until you really get a look against the WCHA teams Wisconsin, I don't know that they get out of their bracket, to be honest with you. That Badgers team has kind of been up and down. And I honestly would not be shocked to see Duluth come out of their bracket on the Minnesota side of things. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what are you seeing out of these matchups? You know, like you said, uh, you know, Ohio State's going to be a tough out in Columbus. Hard to see them not making out of their bracket. Northeastern and Yale, again, that's a toss up. Uh, Wisconsin has been up and down. I think they at least get to Coldgate. Now, what they do against them is going to be the big question mark, right? Because Wisconsin has been inconsistent. But the one thing Wisconsin also has done a lot, they've also won a lot of national championships. So they've been there. They've got the right coach. Um, they've got the right systems. We know that when they're on their game, they're one of the toughest teams to play against. So, and sometimes when the spotlight's on and you know it's do or die, sometimes that's what can bring out the best in a hockey team. And I still think the Badgers have a good chance um, in that bracket because they don't have to face either uh, the, you know, shall I say Duluth, the Gophers um, or Ohio State for that matter. Um, and like you mentioned, Duluth is kind of sneaky this year. Um, in Minnesota, again, we know how good they can be under Brad Frost. Uh, you know, they're, they're always um, kind of a shoe in to, to be in the Frozen Four conversation, but don't count out this Duluth team. Um, you know, they have surged, uh, especially in the second half of the year. Great goaltending. Again, they can put the puck in the back of the net when they really need to, um, and almost at will, right, Noah? So that one's going to be probably the more intriguing bracket because I think we can both sit here and say it's going to be Bulldogs versus Gophers to 
go to UMD um, for the Frozen Four, that might be the most intriguing matchup out of the entire, uh, shall we say, preliminary rounds to, to the Frozen Four. You know, that bottom half of the bracket is just not a favorable bracket to be a part of in general. <laughs> I, you know, like really, Ohio State is the big threat in the top half. But other than that, I mean, if you're Quinnipiac, Penn State, Yale, Northeastern, I mean, that's what you've got to get through ultimately. You yep. know, on the other side, though, you I mean, Think about this. You know, Colgate could end up with Wisconsin. Duluth and Minnesota could be a crazy matchup. Long Island and Clarkson could surprise us. Colgate could be very good as the three seed uh, here in the country, too, as well. Uh, you look at the Frozen Four. You look at the ultimate wrap-up. You look at all these teams, some WCHA, some not, obviously. If you had to pick one team that you believe is the odds-on favorite to win the whole shebang here at Amsoil Arena in a couple of weeks, who is it? Shall I go off on a limb? Because I, I don't usually do that. This is kind of out of my comfort zone. Okay, so. stop picking Long Island just because you like their jerseys. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> let's go with the hometown Duluth Bulldogs. Yeah, I don't mind that pick. Mm-mm. And they absolutely could do it. Now, if you get past the golfers, is it hard to count them as not the favorite in the Frozen Four? Granted, we expect Ohio State to be there, right? That might be their biggest test. But uh, again, in these playoff one-off scenarios where this conference is so good top to bottom, right, of four WCHA squads taking up four spots already in this tournament. Um, you know each other a little bit, so you know some a bit of their tendencies, uh, some of their strengths as well as their weaknesses. Um, I think that Duluth is able to upset uh, the Gophers in that bracket. I think the tournament is theirs for the taking. So I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. What about you, Noah? I'm kind of torn. I mean, Ohio State has had a great year, but they kind of, yeah. they, they strike me as a team that hasn't really been tested. And I look at their, their side of the bracket. I mean, yes, they played Minnesota. Yes, they played Wisconsin. Yes, Duluth has given them a run for their money. But you look at their bracket where on paper, they should kind of almost cruise through that in some senses. Mm-hmm. And then their big matchup is the championship game against a bottom half of that bracket that's going to be well-oiled. I'm going with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They've been there, done that. They've had enough fluctuation in their schedule where they've kind of had some adversity this season. You know, Think about the loss against St. Cloud, for example, that they've kind of had to overcome. St. Thomas gave them a run for their money in a couple of their games yep. this year. I think the Gophers have learned their lessons, and as you've seen them kind of get closer and closer to tournament time, they started to kind of lock down the hatches and really you know, prepare for what this battle is going to be. I would not be shocked to see Minnesota and Duluth in that game, like you mentioned, and see that one go to multiple overtimes. I mean, that could have everything you're looking for. But I think whoever comes out of that bracket, like you mentioned, I think they are the odds-on favorite just because Ohio State's great. They have a chance to win it all, no doubt about it. But I think coming out of that bracket is just going to kind of make you that much better to be prepared for that matchup in the Frozen Four going to be a good one nonetheless a lot of great hockey teams here on the women's side so it should be very exciting moving over to our last topic in the main portion of the show from here on out the show is all nhl here we start with the hometown club the minnesota wild 36 21 and 6 78 points in the season they are four points ahead of third in the central zero points uh you know of course or i should say plus Four points out of first in the wild card, plus four points out of second in the wild card, plus 14 goal differential that has them second in the central. You look at their eight, one, and one record in their last 10, uh, you know, their plus six goal differential in the last week alone. 
Colorado now four points behind with two games in hand, meaning the Avs would have to win them both in regulation just to tie the mark that Minnesota is at right now. Winnipeg is four points behind as well with zero games in hand in that wild card spot. So Minnesota suddenly has put themselves in a fairly decent position heading down the stretch here. Uh, past week, Columbus Blue Jackets 3-2 overtime win. New York Islanders 2-1 shootout win. Vancouver 2-1 win in regulation. Calgary 3-0, a statement win for the Flames who are absolutely reeling right now. They have Calgary again at home on Tuesday. Winnipeg on the road on Wednesday. San Jose on the road Saturday. And Arizona in Arizona on Sunday. And how about this Calgary, not to cut you off, they just beat Dallas in regulation uh, to put themselves at essentially... 69 points. So for wild fans, you know, you talk about plus four here, plus four there. Um, Wild at 70 points, Calgary, it's at 69. So really you're nine points ahead of a, you know, essentially being out of the playoff berth. So a striking contrast to what we saw, what, just a week ago Mm -hmm. where they were, what, four points being out of a playoff spot? You know, it's crazy. Dallas, four, three, and three. The Minnesota Wild, one game in hand, should they win their next one, would be one point off of tying the Dallas Stars for leading the Central Division. What a turnaround it has been for this Wild team. Um, You know, there's been one guy, Nick, that's been really pivotal throughout all of this. Um, He stops the puck sometimes, but some say he's not not a starting goaltender. Um, you You heard anything about that? Actually, I have. He's actually the third uh, NHL star of the week. How about that? Um, how about this, right? And let's let's actually backtrack. This is actually a pretty pretty interesting storyline. Let's go back to the off season, right? It's Cam Talbot and it's Mark Andre Fleury. Could you imagine had Cam Talbot not cared about not being essentially in a dual tandem with Mark Andre Fleury, which forces the trade of Bill Garn, who said, "I don't have to do SHIT," right? You make a trade, you save a little cap space, you bring over this, you know, Philip Gustin guy who wasn't, yes, the numbers didn't jump off the page of you, right? But you saw that there were some tools there. And effectively, I don't think the Wild really saw him as a long term type deal, right? Because you have Jesper Wallstad, who is doing his season down in the American Hockey League. And look at what he's done. Not only is he going to be, well, getting a nice extension this offseason, but he's essentially told Bill Guerin, Hey, I could be a starter too. Number one. Number two, he's it's the Gus bus right now. You almost have to play this goaltender. He has been that good. Third, how about this? Because of Mark Andre Fleury likely to finish out his last year next year, unless something crazy happens, he's allowing Jesper Walstead to continue to develop his game in the American Hockey League. And he's putting himself in a position where um, don't you need a good person to stop the puck? You know, you have to kind of tend the goal pretty well if you're going to make it to the playoffs. Um, second in the NHL in terms of save percentage, and I believe goals against, I think it was at 1.9 something. He's been incredible. But I like to go back to the offseason because we almost didn't have him. We yeah. almost had a tandem of Cam Talbot and Mark Andre Fleury. And yeah, there was so many people going, this guy is not an NHL goaltender because all they looked at was stats. And this is where I know you like stats, Noah. I like statues because they can tell you certain things. But in sports, sometimes the stats only tell a very small part of that story. Also, take a look at the franchise that came, came from the Ottawa Senators, who have not been great during his tenure there, right? When you looked at his technique, you look at the way he tracks pucks, the way he does not give up rebounds, and the ones he does, they're going into the corners. They're going into those areas that you're supposed to go to. All the tools is there. Then you put him in front of a good 
team that is a better in their defensive end and look at what's happened to both, right? Yeah. Both him as the goaltender and the league. He's carrying this team on his back. And uh, shall we say that uh, he old, no, I shouldn't say single-handedly, but he's a big part of the reason that this team has vaulted themselves into almost a, shall we say, number one spot in the Central Division. Wow. What a, yeah. what a story. You know, when we talked about that, even in the preseason, his technical prowess and what he brought to the game, he's he was only 23, you know, almost 24 yeah. at that particular point. Um, also, yes, for Wallstead, that'd be a pair of Swedes in that I'll for the Minnesota that. Wild as well, too. I need but, more. So. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, have we ever heard of good Swedish goaltenders? Just ask uh, the Broadway Blue Shirts. But, right. you know, the other piece of this, too, you mentioned statistics. And Ottawa, you know, not being symbolic of that. You look before that, though, his great success at the international level, right? You yeah. know, and what he brought to the table. So people, especially with goaltenders, you look at a guy who's 22, 23, you want to write him off. Even Capo Kakinen, I thought the Wild sometimes kind of maybe pulled the trigger too early on him at times, too, just because of that age. But yeah, I mean, what a great find for Bill Guerin's club. And I think that, you know, even if it doesn't pan out, this kind of reminiscent a little bit of the Devin Dumick situation where it's like, if you can get three or four good years out of a goaltender, I mean, that's the answer. You look at the Avs last year, which Colorado, of course, was a wagon. Darcy Kemper was nothing to shout about. I mean, you know, oh. yes, yes, he was all right. But I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, he was absolutely unbeatable. You know what I mean? It, no. And that's and that's the storyline of a good club, right? It's almost like you can allow your goaltender just to make this age he's supposed to make, and you don't want him to stand on his head, right? And you know, in a, in a very sort of twisted storyline here, right? No one that is this team. We're talking the Minnesota Wild, right? Where sort of that run and gun. They lost Kevin Fiala. They're all about their offense and the four check, right? Where right. they learned pretty quickly that they ain't gonna work. Um, you know, they're gonna have to change things up. Now, I've never been the hockey fan to view it as, oh, this style of play is boring or, oh my gosh, they're scoring seven goals a game. Now I'm excited because I, at least for me, and I don't know if you view the game the same way, but I see the chess pieces. I see why. And it is up to the coaching staff to take what they have as a roster and to, and to put them in a position to go, how are we going to maximize and squeeze the most out of the squad from what their strengths are, right? Yeah, losing Kevin Fiello just really put a huge divot in their secondary scoring. There's no question about that, right? But what you can do is you can be suffocating defensively. You can have a guy like Jewel Erickson who to me should have a lot more selkie votes than he's getting. He's, you know, he's that kind of a forward where you can force pucks, where you can get in on the four check, uh, you can create those opportunistic, um, you know, type things. And you have a superstar such as Kirill Kaprizov, who uh, was he what scored six out of the, like the last eight goals before the game in Calgary. Right. Right. You can, you know, be that game breaker when you need to be. Um, so now, and we're going to talk about this here in a minute, obviously, with some of the additions and the trades that were made. Uh, but this team is starting to shape up like, um, I don't want to say they're scary because of an offensive point, but it's scary because this is going to be a team that's going to be really tough to beat because they almost make their opponents beat themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the things you talk about, you know, trying to work with what you have here. You know, Dean Evison, people talk about, you know, his decision making a little bit. Also, a lot of heat on Bill Guerin as of late. And this kind of transitions into our extra ice session a little bit. But, you know, you, you look, yeah, you look, you look at some of the pieces, of course, that he brought in and people, they like to think in the moment. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But, no. you know, you look at Marcus Johansson, right? And then you make the Gustav Nyquist trade and people are like, well, what are you doing here? It's like, all these little moves, even the little moves where you're picking up draft picks and taking a little bit of salary, essentially, um, to try to 
essentially create this opportunity here. Bill Guerin has the long-term slash short-term plan in mind where it's like he's playing the short game, but over a period of a couple of weeks or a month or so, getting prepared for the moves that he made this past week. Let's talk about him. Yep. You know, you look at Marcus Johansson, who, of course, was a Minnesota Wild player a couple of years ago. Utilitarian player, can play center, can play wing, can play top six, can play top nine, bottom six if you need him to. You know, he's so versatile in what he brings to the table, scored in his first game back with the club. Uh, he's fast. He's got yeah. speed. Yeah, you know, you add him into the mix, and then imagine this team right now if a healthy Gustav Nyquist comes into the fold. Like, he hasn't been like a guy that single handedly like did the ring around the rosy in the offensive zone when he's a member of the Detroit yeah. Red Wings and scored an overtime winner. No, never. Yeah, I mean, just a great hockey player. And I thought it was funny. People, I can't remember what Minnesota gave up for him a fourth or a fifth rounder or something like that for him. I can't remember what it was. Um, it was but it, yeah, yeah. And it's like, they're like, why would Minnesota make this move? Why wouldn't you make that move? If, you, if you're going to go all in, you know, and will he be healthy in time for the playoffs? Maybe not. But, Maybe. you know, this big discussion too about, oh, I can't believe they gave a third round away. I can't believe they gave a fourth rounder away. It is so rare for low picks to hit. Yes. Oh, yes. Kirill Kaprizov. Oh, yes. Pavel Datsuk. Oh, yes. Braden Point. By and large, though, if you're not picking essentially in the top 15 or 20 in the first round, and maybe even throw the second round in there if you want to be a little bit gracious with it, the, the picks don't really amount to much most of the time. And if that means that you're going to get a guy that can help you win now with the limited cap space Minnesota has, and they're rolling in the yeah. right direction all of a sudden, Bill Guerin signaled, my team made this decision for me based on their recent play. I'm going to support that. We're going all in. We're going to make moves. And we did it in a way that didn't jeopardize our cap anymore, didn't cost our draft stock highly, and yes. didn't empty our prospect pool. The only guy that Minnesota loses is Jordan Greenway, which Minnesota gained picks from that and a couple of pretty decent ones at that. I mean, a second, yes, I believe is second and a third in that trade. Second and a fourth. Yeah. I think. Uh, what a what a fleecing by Minnesota. Here's what let's let's step back a little bit to the fans who are like, why would you make this move? Okay, tell me what move you would make. Yeah. So Minnesota makes all these moves, and in a very deep draft, they have a first round in two seconds. Again, it's a it's actually Vegas's second round pick because it was sent to Buffalo, then Buffalo sent it to Minnesota in that Greenway trade. So. Uh, in a deep draft, you still maintain number one picks and you get a, an additional second, which Greenway himself was a second round pick. So you can look at it as almost a fair trade value, right? Um, here's the other thing here, Noah. Uh, the Minnesota while gaining cap space, next year they're losing cap space. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. They're losing two extra million dollars in cap space because you're now entering the worst final two years of that Parise and Suter big buyout. So mind you, there's still three more years after that at $833,000 per uh, guy per year, so 1.6 million, but a hell of a lot better than 14.7, almost 14.8. They're going to endure the next two years. So you needed those draft picks. You needed to keep that cheap capital, right? So, and without getting too much into this, Noah, but I think at one point, and maybe at the playoffs, I think this would be a great extra ice session. We've talked about how Minnesota is going to endure the $14.7 million the next two seasons. But more importantly, and why I think the trades, especially the retained salaries, the Ryan O'Reilly um, and the other trade that he did, is he's starting to branch out. And what is the plan for when they come out of it? 
Because right. you got to remember, too, when they come out of it, guess who is in the final year of his contract? Okay. Kirill Kaprizov, right? So why is that important? Well, you need to have cap space, and you need to have your young guns. These picks are going to become very, very important to essentially say, hey, we've got money. We've got a good young team that's talented. You sprinkle in a couple of forwards, maybe go after that big superstar. This is when you can pull the trigger on a first-round pick, maybe a couple of seconds, right? Um, you don't want to do what the Toronto Maple Leafs have done because uh, they don't have a first-round pick for the next three years. Same with the second. They have almost nothing left in the cupboard. You talk about a team that's going all all in, this the Maple Leafs. So the Bill Guerin did what he could by getting what he could at the best value that he could. He did a wonderful job. Yeah. And to anybody who really thinks that he could have done more with the cap space they had, with him needing those picks, again, in a deep draft, when you're still building the squad, you want to hang out to those first-round picks. Ask the teams in the most recent history what has happened to them when they have not had first-round picks. It's not been good, right? The talent pool in the NHL continues to get better every single year. If you can do, uh, let's say, make the playoffs be competitive and still have your first-round picks, you're doing all right as a GM. I think Bill Guerin gets an A-plus in this trade deadline for me. Yeah, absolutely. Jordan Greenway, a second and a fifth from Buffalo, uh, looking up that trade there. Uh, Minnesota, Oscar Sunfist for a fourth rounder from Detroit. You look at Sunfist, who costs just a little bit less than Greenway, 21 points in 52 games. I mean, a great addition. I mean, you know, six foot three, 220 pounds, a great hockey player, great pickup for the Wild. And then uh, right before the deadline was done, it was John Klingberg. John Klingberg wow. from Anaheim for defenseman Andre Suster, Nikita Nesterenko, sorry, and a fourth rounder in the 2025 draft. And people kind of had an issue with this Klingberg piece because defensively he hasn't been great. He's kind of more that offensive juggernaut that has kind of petered, petered out in recent moments. With a guy like Philip Gustafson behind you and a guy like, for example, Jonas Brodeen, or even throw like a guy like John Merrill who can play a little bit of defense, don't get yourself you know, confused with that. I think it's a great pickup for a guy that brings a lot of offense you know, on an expiring contract that can just provide a little bit of punch from the back end and see if he can kind of run a little bit and maybe refine his game. When he was in Dallas, especially in the early prime portions of – you know, when he first got into the league, he was almost unstoppable what he brought to the table. Um, I think a couple of really great pickups, like you mentioned from Bill Guerin, John Klingberg brings a lot to the table. Um, you know, the Minnesota wild, they make a couple of moves overall. How'd you see this past week? What do we anticipate moving forward? So obviously it's early, right? But uh, John Klingberg, I think looked really good. Marcus Johansson looked really good in Calgary. Again, that foot speed, very evident, especially on the four check. Um, and he's again, he's a good playmaker, right? And he's versatile. Again, having that center, the guy who can take draws, right? How often do we talk about in the Stanley Cup playoffs that that one draw, that offensive zone draw, or more importantly, the defensive zone draw can be a difference maker in a hockey game, right? It gets that much more critical uh, during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, John Klingberg, again, the league is trending to be more offensive, right? There's no question. We're both not going to sit here and lie to our listeners and our viewers on YouTube that says John Klingberg is a defensive liability. He absolutely is. That part of his game is not great, but Again, part of what makes hockey sort of this fun, sort of like, you know, shall we say almost like a match game, you know, in the dating world is you find a guy like Jonas Brodin, who was one of the best defensive defensemen out there who can skate like the bat out of hell. Uh, you pair him with an offensive guy. Dare I say that frees them both up a little bit to do what they need to do? Um, it could be a marriage made in heaven. And who knows? Maybe John Klingberg takes 
Matt Dumba's spot. I don't know. And guess who also didn't move? Matt Dumba. We call that on this podcast too, right, Noah? So I don't know. Um, I, I like the moves. Um, I think there's a lot of balance there. I really like the bottom six for Minnesota. They're big. Um, they can score. Um, they can possess the puck. There's some, you know, other pieces that are intertwined. The, here's the big question mark, though. And I don't know if you thought about this, but what about Kalen Addison? Yeah. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Not to say that he's been bad because he's still a very young kid at what, 21, 22 years of age. Uh, but you kind of wonder what's going on between his ears. Um, again, there's been some public, shall we say, um, differences of opinion, right? Bill Guerin uh, sort of being on on him for not playing hard enough defensively. Uh, he's been playing scared and Kalen Addison publicly saying, no, I haven't, right? So you kind of wonder what these moves signal to him. Here's my thing. He's a great offensive player. He's kind of like a Klingberg where defensively he's also been not great, right? To me, he doesn't have a lot of bargaining chips at the table, but you kind of wonder what these moves and wonder where his ice time is going to be. Uh, does that set up a situation where maybe he wants out of Minnesota at the end of the year? Um, I would hope that's not the case because I do think there's a future with him with the Minnesota Wild, especially with a lot of turnover we're going to see this uh, this upcoming offseason. But I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. I, I think this is a... Uh, this is going to be a situation to follow. I'm not quite sure how to read it, but something tells me there there could be some fireworks here depending on how this thing goes. There's a reason why John Klingberg ended up in a wild sweater. How about this, by the way? And the only game he's played when he was in Calgary, the Wild win three nothing plus three on the night for John Klingberg. You know, that? you look at you know he has 24 points in 50 games with Anaheim this season. Previous year, 47 points in 74 games with Dallas has had a couple of seasons where you know he's been over 40 points, over 50 points, even over 60 in some cases. He brings a lot to the table, almost 400 points in 600 career NHL games. As a defenseman. Yeah, exactly. He is the Kalen Addison, but more mature. You know, you, you look at what he brings to the table there. There's a reason. I mean, he is the stopgap to see which one of these two are going to kind of carry the mail offensively for Minnesota. Don't get us wrong. John Klingberg can definitely play on the power play. He can definitely bring that special teams advantage. That's why this move has made Minnesota suddenly bring some offense from the back end, alleviating pressure from a guy like Matt Dumba, for example, that we've harped on the past couple of years too. just providing more offense and more dynamic from the back end. Who knows? Maybe they're both in the lineup. They're both on power play one, you know, or, you know, power right. play two. You know, there's a lot of options now that Minnesota has here. I like all the moves from Bill Guerin. I think it's a great pickup. Kalen Addison, has a chance to earn it. I don't think he's going to leave Minnesota anytime soon. I think he's still going to get a good look. I think we just have to be patient a little bit. I think, you know, a lot of fans get worked up. And yes, you know, he'd struggled at times. I still think he brings a lot to the table, like you mentioned. But, you know, when it comes down to it, sometimes when you push into a playoff spot, you want a guy who's been there a little bit more, and John Klingberg provides that. But Kalen yep. Addison, he's still going to get a look. Don't get us wrong. Uh, you know, you're not going to count him out, especially with, you know, the age that he's at, there's a lot of development left to be had here. So, well, speaking of development, there's some guy named Patrick Kane, apparently that, you know, was traded and apparently some other important things that we have to get to. So we're going to move on to our extra ice session. Of course, the NHL trade deadline, everything possible happening that you could have ever wished for in this past week, moving up to last Friday. And we will recap it all. Welcome into the extra ice session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. It is late here on this Monday, and so I don't tell you what, my eyes are like 
given up on me. I'll tell you that much right now. But we have one more thing to look at here. Some interesting trades coming out from the past week and a half here as we approach the trade deadline. One of the more interesting ones, I thought, Nick. Of course, we just recapped Minnesota's trade. So if you want to look back on that in the past little portion we just did, you certainly can. Uh, how about the Flames getting Troy Stetcher and Nick Ritchie from Arizona in exchange for Connor Mackey and Brett Ritchie? The Ritchie brothers switching places. I mean, that's a... <laughs> Kind of an interesting little piece there. Um, Dmitry Kulikov um, coming from Anaheim to Pittsburgh for Brock McGinn in a third rounder. What a bit of an overpay yeah, from the Penguins. That's a big overpay. Um, yeah, there is there is definitely some curious, shall we say, moves and non-moves, uh, most of it coming from the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Uh, when I say, you know, kind of being a, uh, what do you, if you want to call it the benefactors and maybe the initiators of the trade, uh, Pittsburgh is in a very weird spot, right? And yeah. we talked about Pittsburgh over the course of um, the, shall we say, the lifespan of the Huskies Warmer Dose podcast in terms of, you know, it, it does now really breathe that this team is just sort of hanging on to, shall we say, broken parts. Um, you know, it, but that's what you get when you have guys like, you know, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and you, you kind of have to swing the bats when they're on your squad because you just never know uh, now in their mid, you know, to sort of upper mid-30s, right, that, you know, an injury here, an injury there, and you just never know what can happen, right? Yeah. Um, Nick, Nick Benino ends up there from San Jose as well, going back to Pittsburgh. You know, it's interesting. Some of the things, how about being like Brendan Lemieux right now, leaves the LA Kings to go to Philly for Zach McEwen on the other side of things. That's tough going from a playoff team to a, a whole lot of nothing. Speaking of the Kings, how about them trading Jonathan Quick? That was a bit surprising. Yeah, and then Quick getting flipped to Vegas there, um, you know, from yep. Columbus and, you know, backstopping his team to a win. What a weird little situation that has been. How about if those two teams meet in the playoffs, by the way? I, you know, there's a very big possibility that happens, <laughs> too. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting we talk about trades and how the GMs are sort of, you know, they're the, they're the masterminds and we sort of, say that they can kind of do whatever they want. And yet when you have a player like Jonathan Quick who's won your franchise two Stanley Cups in 2012 and 2014, who's is certainly in the, you know, the moonlight of his career. There's no question about it. And then you get and then you have him you make a trade and granted, let's be honest, Quick's numbers have not been good, right? Yeah. Um, as as the Steve Dangle podcast said, objectively, you take all the emotion out of it. This was exactly the right move. It was. But it sounds like the way it was handled yeah. is sort of like there, it didn't seem like there was a discussion about it. Um, now, granted, I'm going to put I'm going to throw some leeway to this situation. Right. Um, I'm not sure how you have this conversation. Right. The, well, how about this? I, and this kind of goes back to the ruthless piece. Yes, I know. You know, right. Dustin Brown got a statue and Jonathan Quick gets traded. Does there have to be a discussion? This is a business. This isn't, you know, you know. <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying there has to be, but I think because it, and it, let me just say it this way. When you have the discussion, it's not like the discussion is, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I think the discussion, or maybe the way it's handled is like, yeah, you make the trade call, right? You file the paperwork to the NHL Central Registry. And I don't know. Again, I, I'm not sure how you handle it. I think Jonathan Quick, just because of he spent his entire career there, again, with the legacy he's had, there's no question that you know his career is, uh, you know, is on the downward slide. There's no question. Objectively, like you mentioned, um, this was the right move. LA Kings really need some goaltending help. Yeah. I just don't know how you handle that uh, from a position where you know 
that the player means so much to your organization. And more importantly, the organization means that much more to the player, right? Um, didn't we kind of go through the same thing? It wasn't really a trade, but you know, the expansion draft, Marc-Andre Fleury leaves the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? It's kind of the, kind of yeah. a similar thing, but you know, time kind of heals all. And at the end of the day, the Kings yeah. still in a playoff spot. They've still got to get the job done, you know? And yeah. And it's, it's tough, right? Uh, I, I don't, like I said, it's not that I, I think it, you know, could have yeah. gone differently, but you know, from the, from Jonathan Quick's camp, uh, certainly he felt like he deserved, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a heads up or maybe, you know, some sort of a say in it, but you know, at the end of it, he didn't have a no move clause. And that's why a lot of these with these superstar players like Patrick Kane, for example, and I know we'll talk about him. That's part of the reason why they're there is at some point if the team is sort of, shall we say at the end of their dynasty, again, three Stanley cup winner, Patrick Kane with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, we know what they are right now. They're a shell of what they were just about 10 years ago, which is incredible to say. Um, he, event- he essentially got to pick where he wanted to go, right? Um, so it's it's interesting, right? Yeah. This, but in that particular situation, Kane had a little bit more in terms of essentially all the say, all the leverage in the situation, well, which did not. Well, also, Jonathan Quick, I mean, two teams in different positions. The Kings are, you know, trying to fill a position of need for a playoff run versus Chicago's trying to get what they can for a guy who, you know, wants another shot at a Stanley Cup. So it's an interesting story, but I think it'd be very interesting if uh, Vegas and L.A. met in the playoffs. I think it would just be really good broadcasting, really good fun uh, with those things concerned uh vladislav domestikov uh heading to winnipeg from san jose for a fourth rounder as is curtis lazar to new jersey from vancouver for the same price interesting there st louis acquiring uh yakov vrana from detroit um as well of course vrana of course was part of the nhl pa player assistance program as of recent so keep an eye on that one dallas moving anton kudobin in a second rounder for max domi and goaltender dylan wells in chicago this was a sneaky little pickup for a dallas team trying to kind of add a little bit more offense. So I like that move. Nick Bukestad, former Minnesota Wild player, um, headed to Edmonton from Arizona. That's a um, nice pickup for Edmonton. Yeah, Anders Bjork um, heading to Chicago, former Notre Dame fighting Irish prospect there. So um, going to Buffalo for future considerations. Um, Jakob Voracek um, <laughs> moving over to Arizona as far as that contract is concerned. Um, yeah, for the, the legend roster continues to get more sparkly there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the Bruins getting Tyler Bertuzzi from Detroit for a conditional first and a fourth rounder. I, they didn't even need it, and they did it no, anyway. Did you see that. Tyler Bertuzzi, by the way, the way he plays? He's got no end cap on his stick, and he doesn't tape yeah. the top of his stick. What is that all about? Like, I don't I don't know. I've never seen that before. Um, and, maybe, that, oh. maybe that's how you know all the people who didn't get the COVID vaccine in the league. That's how they have to mark their status i don't <laughs> who knows uh you know it's funny because i think about it i skated on friday and you know thinking about you know just you know the grip in your top hand and you know how you use that for your stick handling and thinking about you know i know that the sticks have a bit of a sticky uh sort of you know substance on it to help with the grip on the on the glove hand but still yeah. um you know you sort of put a little bit of a what do you call it, like a little bit of a rope of tape on there to get a little bit more of that feel for your hand I just can't imagine playing with nothing there. I just, I don't know. It just yeah. seems like naturally bit. It's worked for him. He's in the show. So who am I to, who am I to say, right? Although it's weird that they don't have him have the butt end on top of it because technically that's an equipment violation, but who's to say, um, 
knows? Pittsburgh Penguins getting former wild forward Mikhail Granlin from the Predators for a second rounder. That's just weird in all facets, but he'll second be second rounder too. Is also seems a bit high. But... Yeah, reunited with Jason Zucker there. Um, Teddy Bluger, of course, uh, headed to Vegas from Pittsburgh. Of course, former Mankato Maverick. L.A. getting rights to goaltender Eric Portillo from the Buffalo Sabres, of course, former Michigan Wolverine. Jacob Chikrin, of course, um, from Arizona to Ottawa for a first rounder, a second rounder, and another second rounder. I I think he's going to thrive a little bit in Ottawa with that young group there, right? Yeah, kind of a bit of a scare. He kind of went into the boards awkwardly in his first game, but then was able to recover, actually uh, beating Patrick Kane in his first game uh, with the New York Rangers. Um, Philip Ronick uh, getting picked up by Vancouver. Shane Gossespierre headed to Carolina. Lars Eller headed, yeah, Lars Eller headed to um, Colorado from Washington. Nice depth centerpiece there. Yeah. Um, well, before we get to the Patrick Kane one, because I know we all want to talk about that one, uh, the Oilers get Matthias Eckholm and a sixth rounder for Tyson Berry, Reed Schaefer, a first rounder in this year's draft, and a fourth. Um, Yikes. This was kind of a big haul here. The Oilers kind of going a little bit all in to kind of get some defensive help here. Um, yeah. Overpay by Edmonton, or do you think it was worth the price? Uh, you know, I think it's worth the price. I, I think if you're Edmonton, it's been your biggest weak spot for the longest time has been your defensive end. And Matias Ackholm, if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm going to double check here. I think he still has some term left on his contract. Uh, yes, he does. He's actually got three more years left at $6 million. So uh, to me, that's worth the first rounder because I think let's, let's go back this way. Connor McDavid, uh, first of all, 800 points. Connor McDavid is about to hit 1,000 points. That's ridiculous. Um, he's 26. Unreal. And how about this? The, when the Matias Ackholm contract expires, so does Captain Connor McDavid. So uh, I think the Edmonton Oilers know that they're in a position where they're going to have to start swinging the bat. And kind of like Miguel Sano, uh, you have to swing for the fences or you're going to strike out. I, I do really think that you do have to sort of pay the price of the first round picks. Um, I'd be curious to see how they do uh, this year again, uh, Western Conference final appearance last year, right? Um, they're trying to get over to the hump to the Stanley Cup final. Um, I do think, just like Austin Matthews in the conversation that the fan bases are hyping about and what he's going to do in his contract situation in Toronto, I think it's going to be even a bigger conversation with Connor McDavid coming up not far behind him. And I think Edmonton knows uh, that McDavid's getting frustrated. Um, you kind of hope that a deep run this year maybe hopefully calms that down, but you do have to start making these types of moves to make him feel like this, that they're going for it. So uh, a guy with term, a guy that can play good defense, this is a great deal. Maybe it feels like an overpay, but I, again, they're getting three more years after this one out of him for good service. I think it's a great price to pay, especially for a superstar that you have that you're trying to please it. I don't know how you wouldn't do that move. Yeah, Jesse Pugliarvi also out of Edmonton over to Carolina. Another move that the Oilers made to uh, Nashville Predators uh, giving away Tanner Janelle for um, Cal Foot, a conditional first, a second rounder, a third, fourth, and fifth round pick. Yikes. Yeah, crazy. I know we had a great year last year. He's kind of struggled this year, so that's an interesting one that Tampa Bay kind of truly embraced once again going all in like he did a couple of years ago. Um, Cal yeah. Foot. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. The Avs getting Jack Johnson back from Chicago. The New Jersey Devils, as you predicted, Timo Meyer uh, mm-hmm. headed to New Jersey here. I thought it was funny. You looked on, um, and there was a lot of other pieces of that trade that you can go look up because there's too many to name. Um, 
And this brings us back to the Ivan Barbashev trade, which was where we were at the week prior. So this is kind of it besides Patrick Kane. But as we cycle back to Timo Meyer here, as you had called it, I thought it was funny. There were a lot of New Jersey Devils fans who were like, this Timo Meyer guy, who is this? Like, like, is he good? Is he? And I'm like, how have you never heard of Timo Meyer? Like, I know you're, I know you're at the Well, you know why? They're all asleep at the time his games play at home. Yeah, true. So, (laughs) like, I know you're at the 7 Eleven getting scratchers and hanging out, but it's like, you know, you know, (laughs) turn off the New Jersey Lotto for a second and, you know, they take a look. I mean, what a great pickup for the Devils here. And, um, yeah, I, New Jersey, they're kind of a curious case as far as what they're going to bring into the playoffs, I think. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's it's interesting because, I mean, they were a team that we thought would maybe have been there by now. And then this year, they sort of just, like, the spark. They finally found the catalyst to put it all together. But it also means a lot of the players that are here, besides, what, Dougie Hamilton and a few other veterans, they're still inexperienced that's the big thing with this devil team um timo meyer has been there before so i mean you throw a couple sprinkles here but they still have a very young core that has not seen a single stanley cup playoff game uh you kind of wonder what that experience or lack thereof on that roster will will do right um i I still think the devils are just hey they're a wagon right um but um, at the end of it um, I, I'm not sure what I feel about them and their playoff chances. I really don't. Um, I still like that they're a very good squad. They're going to be tough out, but you wonder what that lack of experience will do. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And again, the other big thing with uh, New Jersey, um, a lot of expiring contracts, both unrestricted as well as restricted free agents. So they've got uh, a, a lot of work to do this offseason. So you kind of wonder what the team of Meyer uh, trade and sign, if that was sort of a, you know, not just trying to get them some depth for the playoff run, but trying to set the stage to try to keep maybe some of those unrestricted free agents interested and definitely for the RFAs, let them know that they're serious about building a cup contender. So I feel like there were some chess pieces there as well. You know, it's really weird, Nick, uh, as we circle back to this piece and our, our final little part of this here, New York Rangers getting Patrick Kane for not a whole lot in return for Chicago. I was just, you know, going through Google again. I know we kind of watched the recap, but seeing 88 in Broadway blue is just the weirdest Very weird <laughs> thing. But the embarrassment with Panarin again, how about that? Huh? Yeah. The embarrassment of riches that that team has right now, Panarin, Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko to boot. I mean, this Rangers team has a chance to suddenly be very deadly here. I mean, very deadly. Patrick Kane, we kind of talked about it before that the Rangers still had a chance to make it work. Did you really think that he was going to end up at MSG when all things were said and done, especially after the Tarasenko trade? I had my doubts. I'm not going to lie because, you know, you you kind of look at the Rangers and, you know, they certainly have rebounded very rapidly. I still remember not that long ago, was it four years ago now, where they sent out that letter to their ticket holder saying, hey, like, we're essentially going to rebuild here, bear with us. And let's just say that they've made a lot of the right moves, right, to get to the spot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, interesting enough, they felt like, you know what, now's the time to pull the trigger. And they have. Um, I Let's put it this way. I didn't feel like they would go as, as far as it did. And here's the, the funny thing, even after all of this, they still have a first round pick this year. They still have, uh, it's actually Dallas's technically. Um, so they have a first rounder. They don't have a second rounder. They still have a first next year. They still have a first in 2025. So they still maintain all their first round picks, sort of and, like proxy. And how about the fact that they might get New Jersey in the first round? How about that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, nuts. Uh, it's an arms race, really. Uh, it started with the Tarasenko move. Uh, again, Patrick Kane, the, the Patty Kane watch was on. Um, 
And that Patty King watch is, is not done yet because he's going to have an offseason really with unrestricted free agency if he gets there. I'm not sure if he'll want to stick with the Rangers because, again, the Rangers are going to have some, uh, shall we say, some some money issues themselves trying to keep the squad together. Um, this is definitely, you know, chips to the center of the poker table and trying to go all for it. Um you know, at the end of it, I, I like it. I like the aggressiveness of Chris Drury, the GM of uh, the New York Rangers, to, to go out and gather a player that we know has Stanley Cup winning experience, um, has played on uh, a team that has won a Stanley Cup together with uh, Artemi Panarin. you got Mika Zibanejad, one of the best goaltenders in the league, and Igor Shesterkin. Um, you've got a Norris Trophy, you know, essentially candidate every year and Adam Fox, just to name a couple of things. You have a big bruiser, Jacob Truba, in the back end. This team has a little bit of everything. Um, so I like the fact that if you see an opportunity, swing the bat. Um, yeah. So I did not, I will admit, I did not think the Rangers would make the subsequent moves they need to get Kane because, again, it's so close to the cap. And you also wonder, you know, if you swing the bat and you miss your first round exit, because, again, if they, they get New Jersey, that's going to be a tough first round test. Yeah. Um, then what's it all for nothing, right? So, but sometimes, and even our own Bill Guerin for the Winnipeg Wild says, you know what? You can't be afraid to lose. You got to go out and swing the bat. And I think you and I know both know, you know, this being former athletes ourselves is we'd rather go down striking out swinging than striking out looking. And I think that's exactly what Chris Drew is doing here. And he made it work. So you got you to gotta tip your hat. That's that's a hell of a, a different trade deadline if you're the Rangers. OK, Martin Hansel. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, boy, what a trade. He's that like was. A foot taller than me. So I'm not sure why you made yeah, that Martin Hansel in a first. Was there any other trade that you felt like you wanted to kind of bring up as we kind of went through? We kind of. Yeah, how how about the Toronto Maple Leafs? Luke Shen, um, a guy that was sort of a te- you know had ties to the Wild again. Brock Besser, uh, again, not moving. No surprise there for me. Again, that to me was an agent-driven type discussion. They would have been very difficult to make that money work. So that's not surprising to me. Uh, but going back to the Maple Leafs, Ryan O'Reilly. Then they go out and get Luke Shen. Um, this Maple Leafs team also really you know put the fist down and said we're going to be doing this. And you know, speaking of the Maple Leafs. When I talked about them earlier, Noah, and talking uh, more specifically about them going all in, uh, they still they, they still have a first-round pick this year, but they have a first, and then they don't have a pick to the fifth round. Um, here's my question for you when we, when we look at this. Um, with this team, you have you know Matthews, you've got Tavares, you've got Marner, you've got William Nylander, uh, but then after that, there's a lot of, shall we say, uh, empty contracts for next year. Uh, so what happens if this team doesn't win the first round? And more importantly, maybe how about this? Let's just say they make it to the second round, but still get stomped. What is going to be a successful campaign for the Maple Leafs? To me, when you're putting down this many buttons, I mean, I know that they haven't gotten the first round in a while, but you kind of have to get to me at least the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, Conference Final probably. You know what's interesting? How many years went by since Luke Shen was traded from the Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. before Kyle Dubas became GM? Any idea? Eight years? No, not that many. Uh, only three. <laughs> only three. Um, yeah, so 2011-12 was his last year with Toronto, and then Dubas came in 14-15. So, okay. of course, Shen was playing for Philly, then ended up in L.A., Arizona, Anaheim, Vancouver, Tampa, Vancouver again, and then now Toronto. So, um, yeah, this Maple Leafs team, I don't really know what to make of them. I, You know, at the end of the day, you can make as many moves as you want, but regardless of the team you put in front, you, you have to win. Yeah. Like, 
I, it, it doesn't matter the moves you make at this point. Like, I know it sounds like, oh, well, you know, the moves you make obviously give you a better chance to win. You know, they had a really great chance last year and really played a great series. It was the first time I've seen Toronto in the first round throughout the entire series give 110%, didn't really choke in any of the games, you know, had an opportunity to win and just ran into a really good opponent. I mean, that's probably been the best look that we've seen so far for this Maple Leafs club. I don't really know uh, if there's anything you can qualify more than for sure. You got to make it to the second round. There's no yeah, 100%. doubt about that. I'd say conference finals or later, obviously, or second round. If it's like, if you get the Bruins in the second round and you push it to six or seven games or lose yeah. an OT in game six, right. You know what I mean? Like, so anything less than that, yeah, I, 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 I swear it could get ugly for Toronto, right? Because you, you look at the prospect of Dubas not being the GM and then whoever, I mean, could you imagine being the, whoever that would be the incoming GM to a Toronto Maple Leafs organization that literally threw everything at the kitchen sink and still came out essentially empty handed, right? You've got very limited picks. You've got contracts that are expiring off of key star players. They're also looking at an empty cover and going, how the heck is that we're going to stay competitive when we've got this to work with, right? right. Um, again, I, I don't I don't necessarily buy into the Austin Matthews going to Arizona hype because we still don't know if Arizona's going to stay in Arizona, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, that's coming up in two months, so to really have us really an answer, right? But even then, that arena wouldn't be built and ready for operation until, what, 27, 28 at the earliest? Yeah which is well beyond when his contract would have to be renewed, right? So I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's certainly looking very dire for Toronto, no matter what happens. Really, the only solution is if you win the Cup. And like you said, you're going to have to probably at some point get past the Rangers or the Hurricanes or the Bruins, right? There is a lot of really good teams out there in the Eastern Conference. The West is almost wide open. So good news for the Minnesota Wild, but it's... And this is where that Astro comes into play, right? You know what? Let's just say the let's say Toronto does go down to Boston. Boston's a hell of a wagon. Hell of a wagon. You can't really be upset about it because Boston's that good, but you still fail. You still fail if you're the Maple Leafs. You still fail if you're the fan base. So does that make it any easier? Or do we or I mean, or does this still does the guillotine drop? I mean, it's it's an honest conversation, right? This is it's yeah. not as easy as you think it is when you really think about it. Yeah, no, it's for this Toronto club, it, like it's boomer bust. I, you know, it, that's what it comes down to. This fan base, obviously, they've been waiting a long time for just some sort of palatable success, right? You have to get out of the first round, like we mentioned. You almost have to get out of the second round to make it feel like it's meaningful here. Um, you know, like you said, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, all these guys that you know should have a chance to have played in a conference final by now. They haven't even gotten a taste of the second round, right? You know, at some point, Kyle Dubas has to put a bingo card on the table that gets a couple of victories, you know, at, at, at the grandma's ladies night, right? Like it's, you, you have to find a way at some point to make everything stick, whether that's going all in and putting the chips all in, or whether it's finding the perfect mix or working internally and, you know, drafting appropriately, which Toronto probably won't do that, but it's like, or finding some internal, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The fan base doesn't care. You've right. got to get it done. If it's a bunch of fourth liners that suddenly play because Marner and Matthews are all hurt and somehow they go on this epic run and make it to the conference finals. Again, on the other side of the coin, it doesn't really matter. You, you have to get the job done for this fan base at the end of the day. Um, 
Cal Dubas, the leash is getting shorter and shorter here. I think this, this season might for real this time maybe be the defining factor for what they really do in Toronto with him, depending on how this all pans out. Like if Toronto goes out and loses in five games and is uncompetitive in the first round. Oh boy. Uh Oh yeah. It, not particularly sure. No, uh, I have one more team I want to talk about because yeah. uh, there's some Minnesota wild connections to this team. Actually quite a few. How about the Philadelphia flyers? Um, now it's not about what they did, but it's what they didn't do. Um, right now, granted, JVR's contract, um, seven million bucks. That's a tough ask. Um, but let's let's say this, Noah. Now, because you mentioned uh, the Martin Hansel trade, which was for a first with Ryan White also coming back, we actually ended up being the better part of that trade than <laughs> Martin Hansel did. Yeah. Uh, uh, the same person was at the helm. It was Chuck Fletcher, right? Who very shortly thereafter didn't have a job in Minnesota anymore. Um, the Flyers are it, they're they're not good, right? Let's just call it what it is. Um, so if you're not a good team and you think you're not a good team, then typically the trade deadline is you act like Arizona, right? Which is you try to trade away pieces. You try to get some draft capital where you try to get a future player to, to start building towards something, right? The flyers didn't do any of that. Nothing of that. And so here's my two questions. Does Chuck Fletcher think this flyers team is good? Like seriously, that's I'm. I, this is not a facetious question because the 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 lack of any sort of moves, whether it's trying to get higher draft capital or trying to do something to improve your team, tells me he may thinks they're not as far as he thinks. Uh, but then if you look in the pipeline, right, besides uh, some former NCHC players, uh, Bobby Brink, uh, obviously the Cates brothers. Uh, you've got a couple of uh, defensemen there that are in the pipeline. Uh, I'm trying to remember the I guess name. Oh yeah, Ronnie Adder, the former Bronco, um, that are out there, but. Very, very silent. And for a team like the Flyers, who had a lot to gain in the situation, did nothing to me, that's unacceptable. Where do you, where, what do you think? It almost kind of reminded me of trying to go to a Sears after 2010. Just, I, I, <laughs> I, th- I think the pickings were non-existent. I you think if you, if, if you look at Philadelphia's cupboards as a buyer, what do you look at that says, yep, that's affordable. Yep. That's what I want. I mean, mm-hmm. if Ryan Ellis was healthy, that's probably the most desirable contract. Travis Konechny obviously is a decent little contract, but he gets in a lot of brouhaha. Anytime anybody he's scores in, an empty net goal for whatever reason, he's on yeah. right now. Yep. Well, it doesn't matter. He's injured because every time someone scores an empty net goal, he tries to chop their head off for whatever well, reason. I mean, is you know, he, he's you know, not, uh, you know, and part of that could be frustration too, but I mean, it's not, shall we say, indicative of someone who's going to, you know, keep their body in decent it's, shape for a while. It's no surprise that Chuck Fletcher didn't make moves because the core in Minnesota was the same aging grandpa's club for about six or seven years in Minnesota, number one. But number two, it, I, I don't think he really has much to work with. I mean, really, the guy that was probably supposed to be in the move was Kevin Hayes. Minnesota actually took a look into him. Yep didn't pan out and i i don't really know that he had a lot to offer anybody i mean carter hart's not going anywhere you know right now it's no philadelphia you know they're not an embarrassment of riches they're just an embarrassment right like well that's what i mean right because you know at some point when you really have nothing to work with sometimes it's like well what can you do right uh i'm not sure what that answer is now 
I do think, you know, let's take a look at the flyers here again, JVR's contracts expiring, right? Um, you have also Brendan Lemieux, again, the recent acquisition, uh, you have restricted variations. So uh, Kiefer Bellows, who has far and away been, uh, the first round pick that uh, the Islanders got, uh, I think it was like 23rd or 24th overall, uh, Noah Cates again, uh, through the draft, I think he'll be resigned Morgan Frost. He's okay. He's a depth player. Um, but you know, besides Kevin Hayes, Joe Farabee, Scott Lawton, Owen Tippett, mm-hmm. nothing really shake your foot at Ivan Provorov is maybe the biggest spot on the blue line. Cause yeah, got- yeah, he's, he's great for promo nights. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Rasmus was the line in again. You thought that he was worth a seven year extension. I, I don't necessarily know how. So uh, Tony D'Angelo actually has been decent with them. Uh, Travis Sandheim. Great character guy, Tony D'Angelo. Really great for locker room morale. All right. Uh, but then again, Sean Gaturia, Cam Atkinson, uh, Travis Konechny, both on uh, injured reserve. That doesn't help. And then, of course, Ryan Ellis, uh, your big piece that you acquired on LTIR, um, still with uh, a whopping four more years left in his contract. And uh, how about this buy of the dead cap? Uh, Oscar Lindglom, um, you've got a couple more years of dead cap, very minuscule. So I don't know. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of... And that, that like the, there's the, nothing there. The group there's that you just there. listed was like unpalatable misfit. Okay, you know what it reminds me of actually? That roster reminds me of in the original Toy Story when the whatever the kid's name is that dead. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of his bedroom when they're underneath that all the little like misfit toys that yeah. were jammed together and are super creepy. That's what it makes me think of. It's just a mess. It's a mess. Like, so just, so let's see to my next question. Does Chuck Fletcher survive the off season? I can't see it, but then again, what GM candidate or wannabe GM would want to come into that mess with nothing to work with. Um, yeah. Their core is young, but there's not a lot yeah. of elite talent there. Um, so I don't know. You're going to, you're going to have that being, in a position like Arizona where you're going to have to having to overpay or shall I say over deliver certain assets to get like draft capital. What do you do with the flyers? I don't know what you do. I just, it's not never going to happen. Wouldn't you just love to see Lou Lamorello and John Tortorella lock down sure. that franchise? Can you imagine that? Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. I don't like That's I said, it might be needed to in, a juncture. Maybe Paul Fenton will come back um, to boost morale, but you know, that's, <laughs> I, you know, that's where it's like in, in the real sane world. No, I don't think he survives, but I think he survives on proxy just because yeah. it's such a dumpster fire that, you know, you kind of go, let him to go down with the ship kind of thing. Like, I, yeah, no, no real right answer there, honestly. No, not really. So, I mean, either way, uh, I definitely wouldn't take that job. No, no. Even if I was an aspiring GM candidate, I mean, and again, you, they've got not much. They've got their own first round pick, so that's great. Um, they have nothing in the second round. Two third round picks, two fourths, which again we talk about percentages and you know players besides Kaprizov, which was a, a fifth round pick. Let's just make sure everybody remembers that one. Um, Twenty twenty four, they do have first. They have uh, their own plus a uh, conditional first from the Florida Panthers, uh, but still not a second round pick. Remember Chuck Fletcher threw around second round picks when he was the Minnesota, like they were freaking you know tootsie pops. It was insane. Um, but still, you you look in their talent pool, even their non roster players, some pieces there, but nothing that screams or it's like nothing exciting. Um, I I wouldn't want that job. Okay, Arizona versus Philadelphia next year Stanley Cup final. It's fine. Arizona, so. And here's the difference, right, with Arizona and 
with our with uh, their GM Armstrong is if you look at Arizona's capital. So first of all, Logan Cooley, right? They've been drafting high. Uh, you have two firsts this year, one second, fourth or th- third round picks. Uh, in 2024, our first four second round picks, three third round picks. And then in 2025, a first and four seconds again with two third round picks. Now, here's where you and I both talked about this, where the draft picks aren't always picks in the draft, right? You can package some of those second round picks together with maybe a first. Do they go after Austin Matthews to a team like Toronto that has mm. nothing for draft? So they're setting themselves up. And this is what uh. I need. This is what. It's hypothetically, I don't buy that, but that's sort of what you do when you're trying to get out of the basement is that you try to acquire some type of capital in the draft because at some point there's going to be teams that go after the Stanley Cup who don't make it and they are going to have to unload some players that simply just want to change the scenery. You need picks because those teams have already given away because they went all in on a Stanley Cup run. Arizona is setting themselves up quite nicely actually where if their building is built and approved and opens in 2027 2028 that could be a scary lineup with some of the the pieces they already have drafted with some of the picks they have coming up and they have a lot of money to spend but travis but travis boyd though um well you you know i just want to see the stanley cup raised at you know mullet arena wouldn't that be could you imagine that could you could you actually imagine if that ever see because think about this way so they even get it approved right they have three to four years of construction who's to say that they don't start putting that capital to work and start acquiring those players right because you want to put I would think you're trying to build your roster up for a nice you know first opening season that's competitive that maybe is a playoff pusher right and we've seen this before where you just punch your ticket to the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs you never know what can happen you might maybe it gets accelerated it's possible um but that's also assuming the vote goes through which I mean it might we don't yeah know. maybe they'll get the Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup final um yeah <laughs> yeah I I tell you what or maybe it might might be a little snooze fest I'm about to take a snooze fest myself I'm gonna tell people that right now Arizona versus Quebec City <laughs> okay yeah and it'll be in Hartford um <laughs> yeah the the uh the Atlanta Flames and Atlanta Thrashers proxy groups will both be in attendance um but with that being said, men's hockey, of course, it's playoff time here in the yes. college hockey world. NCHE playoffs number 23, Minnesota Duluth is, Duluth, Duluth is on the docket for the, say, right? yeah, the St. Cloud State <laughs> men's team. Women's hockey, of course, the NCAA regionals are underway. The Wild looking to cruise as they have in the past week. And the Iowa Wild sitting fifth in the Central Division with only 16 games to play, trying to figure things out for the Little Club as well. For us at the Huskies Warming House Podcast, Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon for episode 153 in the Den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Still Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 
42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.